0: Uh, Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. My name is Ben Hunter. I'm the Fiction Category Manager at Booktopia, um, and this is a podcast about books and the fascinating people who read them and write them. Uh, Today is a very exciting interview for me. Uh, I'm going to speak to an author who was born in a colony, which is now a nation, uh, who lives in Edinburgh uh, on a street with other authors. (laughs) And is one of the most prolific and well-known and well-loved uh, authors in the English-speaking world. I am terrified and very excited to be speaking to Alexander McCall Smith. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. It's a wonderful pleasure to have you. Uh, I'd like to start by just relieving myself of some tension. Could you tell me of a time which um, you you yourself were starstruck meeting someone either recently or or in childhood? Yes,
1: uh, I remember um, many years ago when I was a student, I went to uh, a signing, a book signing. I think it was probably the first book signing that I ever went to. And uh, the author whose work I rather admired was there. And I don't know what the problem was. Uh, It was uh, possibly that he was very tired. It was in the evening, he perhaps had a bad day but uh, he gave the impression of being so thoroughly bored by proceedings uh, that uh, I was very disappointed. So I was there um, very, very um, anxious about, about meeting uh, this person. And uh, it, was a, it was a major disappointment. Another occasion that I remember, I suppose, where I met, I didn't quite meet, but I saw my great literary hero uh, was when I went to listen to uh, a reading by W. H. Chawden, uh, the great poet Auden. My, my Auden is my um, main literary enthusiasm. I, I very much like Auden's poetry, and uh, Auden was going to give uh, a reading in Edinburgh. This was just fairly shortly before his death. I think it was a year or so before he he died, and uh, I got a ticket to this and went along. And uh, it was uh, uh, it was full. There was a, a very large uh, audience there. And the great man came in and I, I was very excited to see this this uh, wonderful poet coming in. And my goodness, he looked the most tremendous mess. Uh, Auden was famously untidy. And so he had this crumpled gray suit on with sort of soup stains all over it. And it was very, very, and carpet slippers. He was wearing carpet slippers. And he came in and he went up to the platform and he was introduced and he stood up to recite his poems. And he recited his poems in a rather flat way um, it was uh, he didn't really put much um, uh, uh, emphasis on any uh, uh, any part of them it was a, a very characteristic style he had of reciting as he stood up we all realized the audience saw that his flies were undone and this was a very <laughs> there was a, there was a gasp as the audience realized oh, but but so great a poet was he and so soaring was the poetry that uh, it didn't matter. And so the entire reading was done in the state of relative undress. So that, that was a re- remarkable,
0: a remarkable occasion. A state of relative undress. That, that could be a title for a novel of yours. Uh,
1: the, oh, no, not of mine. that actually is a good title, a state of relative undress, but that is a bit steamy for me. Yeah, true. <laughs> Somebody else could write that one <laughs>
0: um, This has obviously been a, a, a very interesting and strange year I mean, I, I'm sitting at my kitchen table um, uh, Talking to you uh, in your study in Edinburgh And my and my cat is, is staring down the barrel of the camera at you um, Rather judgmentally, I'm, I'm sorry about that <laughs> uh, Cap, Very good judges, very good judges. I, <laughs> It's the first I time just, I've been interviewed by a cat, by the way Oh, good! It's the first for everything. Um, I, I'd like to know how this this very very odd year has affected your intrepid lifestyle and your writing routine.
1: Well, I think everybody's life has been pr- pretty, pretty much changed by by this year, um, and I think uh, obviously, unfortunately, for, for many, it's a, it's an absolutely disastrous year. There's been great uh, suffering and loss and um, economic. Um, uh, confusion and all, all of that. So it's it's been a pretty bad year, 2020. Really, we're very keen to see the the back of it. Um, but I think that in in spite of that, there there have been some features of it that I suppose one could say would be the silver lining of the the otherwise somewhat grey cloud. And that is a, that I think we've all had more time for reflection, and we've also we've also perhaps been shown um how excessively busy our lives were uh well, as it happens when um the uh whole thing blew up in uh, back in march uh i was reading um a couple of books on monasticism uh one patrick lee fermor's marvelous book about his his visit to various french monasteries in the 50s and then another by a benedictine uh, monk who was writing about the the relevance of, of the monastic tradition in in the modern world and the point that both of these books made was the the importance of um, times of reflection and solitude and how solitude is something that we're we, we've lost in in many of our lives uh, we've lost that uh, that space uh to to think and to and to um uh, uh contemplate uh where where we are in this in this world and so that i think actually had a bit of a um an uh, effect i was I was ready to 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 take stock to think, and I found I then had time for reflection that i wasn 't traveling all the time, and I realized my life had been too busy and was probably unsustainable though you know i think we're we're being obliged to 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 ask ourselves can can we sustain this sort of lifestyle so that that had quite an effect i was I was grounded and but i I, I think that was good for me actually to be to be grounded um, I very much enjoy the travels that I do, when I do book festivals uh, all, all over the place. But um, th- that, was, uh, that was a bit of a change. It gave me more time to write, and gave me more time to read, um, I suspect, mm. common with everybody else. I've, I've been reading
0: more. Has, um, has this year, in, in, in your um, uh, learnings, seen an increase in interest in your books? Uh, Because, uh, obviously, Australia is a very small book market uh, relative to the uh, English speaking world. Uh, And, you know, we're we're only one bookseller of many. Um, But we've seen an increase in interest for Alexander. And um, I wonder if these times tend to lend themselves to reading your novels. Um, is, Is that something that you've seen?
1: Oh, we we have seen that yes to 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 an extent i i think um, i I think that probably um, what has happened there is that um, my, my books uh, aren't um, they aren 't thrillers they aren't you know, books in which there's all sorts of action and rushing around and I think that therefore they perhaps lend themselves to quite quieter periods uh, i think also um with the number one ladies' Detective Agency series, the Botswana Novels, uh, Mara Motsri, the central character there, um, is such an appealing character. See, she's such a, um, a, a, a good um, a courteous um, kind woman. Um, and I think people uh, perhaps are on the lookout for, for kindness. Um, I think the world has been uh, a very um, confrontational pay, uh, place in recent years, people have, have, have been at one another's uh, throats for, for various reasons. There's been a lot of, of, of discourtesy in political discourse. Uh, there's been uh, a lot of uh, um, fighting, uh, verbal fighting over things. And um, I think people rather like the idea of the, the opposite of that, which is kindness and courtesy, which Mara Matsuri actually does represent. She, she comes from a, a, a rather courteous um, uh, a well-behaved culture, and so I think people are ready for that.
0: Absolutely, and there's there's a wonderful uh, sense of navigation of, of the perils of our domestic and, and everyday world, uh, <laughs> which which I get from from reading your novels, and uh, I've I've found that invaluable. And 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 you know, even this week, just thinking about this interview. Uh, I've had so many interactions. Uh, there was a there was an altercation with uh, uh, a woman who was stealing things at, at a local supermarket, and I just could not stop thinking about what Isabel Dalhousie would do in the same <laughs> yeah. circumstance. Um, yeah. I'm a very awkward person, and your 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 novels give me a, a wonderful sense of solace, and I've I've got to thank you for that. Well, um, thank I, you. Thank you. I, I'd like to ask. Um, I mean, it, it's a it's an obscene question to ask you. Uh, which of your works do you favour the most? That would that would just be rude. Um, <laughs> but I'm wondering if there is a particular work that you point younger readers who are unfamiliar with Alexander McCall Smith um, to begin with, or 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 if that is something that you. Uh, do you assess the prospective reader based on their appearance or, or your impression of them and, and direct them to different works depending?
1: Well, you never, that raises very interesting questions there, ben, uh, which um, I think many authors uh, would, would find very interesting. Uh, I think um, that uh, you, you realize if you do a number of uh, different series of books as I do, I do quite a few distinct series uh, you realise um, that readers uh, can fall into particular categories. That there will be those who want uh, want uh, reassurance. There will those those who want to be comforted, uh, sort of comfort reading, perhaps. Uh, there'll be those who uh, want the um, uh, exchange of ideas, one would find in the Isabel Dalhousie books, for, for instance. So you can you can work out roughly uh, what, what 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 people are after, but. That's. It's not always cut and dried because the uh, you may be surprised. I mean, I'm I'm very interested um, to hear from readers. I hear from readers a lot every day. We we get letters and, and messages, and and uh, it's always very very interesting to to hear the circumstances in which they read they read the book, the the books. Um, as far as the age question is concerned, I think that uh, I've been slightly surprised. Um, that my Number One Ladies Detective Agency series, the Mara Matsui books, um, uh, are, are read uh, right across the age spectrum. So I've had um, uh, very young readers, eleven-year-olds, um, twelve-year-olds, who read that, that particularly the first book, the Number One Ladies Detective Agency, is the, the title of that one. They, they, um, they read that, and then they, uh, then at the uh, at the other. Um, uh, end of the uh, of the spectrum. Uh, I get uh, letters from people saying um, my, my mother's a hundred, and she's just read she's just read the, uh, the 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 Botswana one of the Botswana books that sort of thing. I would say that um, a younger reader, I'd point in the direction of the Botswana Botswana books because I think that would be quite a good introduction to the to the work. The Isabel Dalhousie, I would think, would be for people who are particularly interested in um, moral and ethical issues. Um, yeah. I think they, they, they go for, for that, because there's quite a, lot of, quite a lot of debate about moral problems in, in, in those books. The Scotland Street books are for, uh, well, I think those are for all age groups. I think those are people who want um, a bit of uh, enjoyment in social comedy. There's a lot of social comedy in the Scotland Street books. Uh, and of course, the age of the characters in the Scotland Street books, our youngest character, is seven and uh, it goes up from there. So um, I've noticed that there are some some children who read the Scotland Street books and identify with this poor little boy, Bertie, who has a major mother problem. He's got this extremely pushy mother. Now that may be that that is something which resonates <laughs> with, with children. They realize that uh, the ambitious mother is uh, is a bit of a difficulty.
0: Yes, I, I've resonated with Bertie a little bit myself. Uh, I often talk to Australian authors, uh, um, and and I ask them, you know, uh, why, why why the struggle? Why um, why have you taken up this this cause of novel writing, um, which is you very very difficult, <laughs> um, and 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 for most people does not pay very well at all. Um, why have they entered this struggle? And uh, I'm often faced with the answer of, "Well, Ben, I, I'm just not good at anything else. I couldn't, I couldn't work in a factory or or, or drive a taxi or or be a nurse or or a teacher's aide. I, I have no, I have no skills, and I have no attention span, and I'm largely useless." Um, Alexander McCall Smith, you are not useless. You're you're a very well-educated man, and uh, before you were writing professionally. Uh, you were a professor, uh, you, were, uh, you were a professor in Belfast during the Troubles, which I, I would just love to hear more about <laughs> in of itself. But I, I would like to know what um, drove you to start sharing stories, to start writing stories and, and, and seeking an audience for them in the first place. What, what, what drove you to the core?
1: Well, I, I think that uh, if you if you if you're a writer, it's it's because you, that's what you really want to do. It's something, I think, fairly deep within people. Uh, we are a, a story um, telling and story sharing species. Uh, we do like to 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 tell stories to one another. We like to to listen to uh, accounts of what has happened, and that goes right right back through human history. I mean, the first sign of cultural activity, I suppose, is cave art that uh, right back then we, we, we had uh, little uh, pictures on the cave walls which t- told everybody what happened on the hunt you, know, you can see the animals being pursued and that's that's the that's the first i suppose recorded story that we we have and this is something deep within within us um we 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 want to share that and and i i think writers ri- writers just just are in touch with that I think the 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 answer to that is that um m- most writers uh, have a have a real urge to to tell a story and that's because we're a storytelling species that's that's what we do. Uh we we want to share stories and this goes right back you can see the first signs of this in human culture in cave paintings illustrating what what happened on the hunt. Uh we we need to to tell other people about what we've been doing and uh, we 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 want to share our lives with uh, other other people, I think that's a basic social impulse. So storytelling is connected with this uh, desire to uh, relate to other people or to 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 share things with uh, other other people. And I think most writers feel that very strongly. Uh, they they have to have to do it, um, and they they may do it without ever uh, doing anything about what they, what they've written. They, what they've written may just remain in in the bottom drawer but uh, nonetheless, it's been important for them to, to, to give expression um, to it. So at one level, I suppose, writing is a form of, of self-therapy. You're sorting out the world, you're sorting out your experience of the world, you're working out what you feel about the world. And uh, I think uh, uh, people find that that is very, uh, very um, helpful. So I think you can't tell writers not to write because they will be very unhappy if they they aren't doing it in the same way in which you can't tell somebody who likes dancing not to dance uh, they will feel frustrated and, and, mm. and happy to eat and it's 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 doing what you what you want to do uh, is very uh, important whatever that happens to happens to be
0: is it true that you write every day even if you're sailing on the Caribbean or in the jungle somewhere that you write every day more than a thousand words or so?
1: yeah i do I, I do write every day um, i have to uh, because i'm doing uh, i'm doing about five or six books a year and, and so i've got quite a um uh, a tight uh, schedule so to speak um there are deadlines uh and um uh, that's what i what i like to do so typically i would um get up um fairly early in the morning i'm often up at say three or four in the morning and uh, i would then uh write for a, a couple of hours uh, then I do go back to bed and have a second, uh, subsequent, very refreshing sleep after that. But um, I, I will write about three or four hours a, uh, a day, uh, probably, maybe not quite that that much. I'm very fortunate. Um, I'm very conscious of my good fortune in in that I I can write quickly. I, I write about a thousand a thousand words an hour when I get going, and um, that's um, something which uh, obviously helps me to, 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 to complete this, this, this number of, of books. You, you can't, as an author, you can't really uh, sit around and wait for the muse to come and tap you on the shoulder uh, mm. because the muse <laughs> doesn't do that. Uh, you actually have to sit there and, and get into a, a, a routine. I think that's really, uh, really very, very important.
0: When do you I read in, all, Do you read all your work aloud or, or a great deal of your work aloud?
1: uh as i write it or after i've written it is
0: uh either <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. uh, no i don't uh, when i'm writing it i don't read it aloud i when i'm writing i'm in a sort of i suppose the psychiatrists would call it a minor dissociative state uh, yes. not quite trance but i'm i'm uh, certainly um uh, on another plane uh it's it's an interesting process i occasionally contemplate this and, and and wonder what is going on because I don't actually have to think about in a, in a, in a deliberative way about what is going to happen. It just, it just comes. Um, and I think that's because fiction is created in the subconscious mind and subcon- you're just accessing the subconscious mind where I find the sentences have already constructed themselves and I, I just uh, have to sit there and, and let it uh, let it come out. I think it's probably like playing the piano. Uh, if you if you look at the way a pianist approaches uh, approaches the instrument, the pianist doesn't necessarily have to say to himself, or herself, "I'm going to put my fingers in that position and play those particular chords." The chords are just played. It's it's uh, accessing music in the mind somewhere.
0: I love that you've jumped right into a musical illusion because I I ask whether you read it aloud because I I, I find that your work has a, a meter that is just truly musical, and it has a has a wonderful sense of rhythm. Uh, and and I know that music is a, is an important part of your life. Uh, can you tell uh, bassoonist from his prose? <laughs> well, I'm I'm a very very bad
1: musician, by the way. <laughs> and don't uh, you 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 compliment me unduly, calling me <laughs> calling me a musician. I, I I'm an amateur, very very seriously bad. Amateur um, musician. I, I like playing wind instruments, but your your point about um, music musicality in, in prose, uh, I do. I, I think I do hear a rhythm. I, I think you're 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 right. You're you're alluding to something which I think is probably there, a, in that I uh, I hear a beat um, in my mind, and that the words fit into that. So I I find I can always tell whether a sentence. Um, works or not? I, if if a sentence doesn't have quite the right scansion, um, if the meter is 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 not quite right, it, it, it jars with me. So I'm I'm probably thinking in uh, well a range of meters, but I suspect that I probably think in quite a few iambic pentameters as I go through as I go through to life. And that that's uh, that is um, yeah that's uh, I suppose that is the way I I, I do it. I I. Um, I hear it. I'm not quite sure what I'm trying to say here. Probably, I hear a pulse of of the prose, and um, if I read it later, I will pick up any infelicities in metrical terms. Um, will will become apparent. I I think that. Prose can be musical, and I rather like musical prose. If, if we're sort of extending this musical um, musical uh, analogy, uh, I think that if you if you think, for example, of the <clears throat> uh, the language of um, the um, uh, Anglican Book of Prayer is rather interesting, Book of Common Prayer, or the authorised version of the uh, you know the King James Bible, though it was. Gorgeous language at the time, this Cranmerian prose. Um, Man that is born of woman hath but a short time to live. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here together. It's absolutely beautiful, resonant, resonant language. And I think those rhythms um, are there in English. Uh, We can access them. Um, They're there in Romantic poetry of the 19th century. Uh, We can go, we can see these things. Uh, we've lived in a time where uh that has been rather discounted in favor of functional prose and uh, a, a distaste for embellishment um a distaste for um inversion of phrases and all of these things um, we still we still see it a bit in poetry although a lot of the poetry has been taken out of poetry and yes. much modern poetry is 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 more concerned with uh, i suppose images and uh, and with the uh, uh probably uses a rather terse um form of form of language um and yet of course we we can we can tell poetry can't we i think that uh, we read something and we even if there's none of the conventional features of poetry and even if there's no um rhyme for example or even if irregular meters or there's no attention paid to meter uh we can we can tell that there's poetic quality
0: i would like to hope so um you yourself have a a new book which is a book of poetry uh it's called in a time of distance uh would you would you tell me a little bit about that
1: well i, I write qu- quite a bit of poetry and and uh I, I'd, a lot of it i've done um, as a librettist writing for composers I, I write uh, I kind of have cooperated to have collaborated rather with a number of composers uh, writing song cycles and operas I've written three three um, short, short operas that sort of thing and um, I also wrote um, a poetry which uh, was occasionally used in the books so in the Scotland Street books uh, there's always a poem at the end of the books which I put into the mouth of Angus Lordy one of the characters but effectively I write it for, for him and um, uh, so I've, I've written quite a lot and um, uh, my publisher one of my publishers uh, suggested that we should have a volume of, of, of poetry so uh, I did this book in, in a time of distance and the, uh, the title poem actually is called in a time of distance and that I wrote um, for the um, for the B- BBC um, they wanted a, a, a poem that uh, they would broadcast about um, this, these the conditions of these rather mm. unusual times we've been living in. And a time of distance deals with that uh, issue of um, how we have been separated from one another, how we've um, we've, we've had some of our, um, our normal, um, I suppose, sense of involvement with others uh, affected by. By current uh, circumstances, and then there are other poems there which are response are a response to uh, the places that that I've been. A number of these are set in India, for example, my travels in India. Um, and uh, another theme which uh, which crops up in the book is um, friendship. Um, I'm very interested in uh, in in friendship as a subject um, as a subject for for literature. Um, and, um, and, and so on so it's a collection of, of, of poetry and I really very much uh, enjoyed writing and it's got lovely woodcuts done by or mock woodcuts done by Ian McIntosh who's uh, an old friend of mine who's uh, an illustrator who's illustrated a number of my books and he does my many of my book jackets and so on and Ian has done these terrific um, mock woodcuts he's not using actual wood blocks but it's the effect of a woodcut and uh that's the uh that's the book in in a in a time of uh, a time of distance
0: I'm going to change the subject in entirely now, um conscious of time um but also just trying to cover this immense career in life of yours um I've read that there's an elephant in Botswana that is named for you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> did you Can you tell me how that came about
1: well there there's, there's an interesting story uh uh attached to that. Uh, My my latest book in the (coughs) Mara series is called How to Raise an Elephant. And uh, the background to that was that I was in northern Botswana in the Okavanga Delta. Uh, Over the last four or five years, uh, I've done uh, something with a safari company um, in Botswana that um, advertised safaris for readers of these books, of the Mara books. They could go to Botswana and go on safari um uh, and I would be be there at the same time and so I was happy to do that because um uh, it, it was very interesting it was nice spending a week with readers from all over the world and uh, of course the, the the places that we went were were uh, ex- extremely beautiful and um and, and interesting places uh and I was coming back from that uh, last year and I uh, was in a, a small town called Mong. Which is in the northern part of Botswana, uh, getting onto a small aeroplane to take us out of that, um, that that area, and I found myself sitting next to an American woman uh, who was also returning from that part of the world. And I'd seen her in the in the um, uh, in the airport um, being said goodbye to by various people in what looked like game conservation clothing, and uh, so we got chatting, and she said that she had just started a little elephant orphanage in that part of Botswana and so I got got uh, into conversation with her and we we, we, we uh, decided that we would, uh, we would remain in touch and uh, this orphanage that she started I subsequently visited um, virtually uh, because I then the uh, it was impossible then to get back to Botswana after circumstances had um, changed and uh, I was able to to, to, to see um, the little elephants in this orphanage. Uh, they take elephants uh, whose mothers have been shot by poachers. And this is a very sad story uh, because the poachers shoot the, 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 the mother elephant and the baby is left there. And the baby will either die of um, uh, dehydration or be attacked by predators. And so mm. they take these little elephants and they bring them up in this orphanage with their view to um, putting them back into the wild later on either as part of another herd or making a herd for them and I found the story just so touching. Uh, It really was uh, a very touching story particularly when I learned that each of these little elephants had a little pen and they had a keeper or attendant who looked after them they had a very close relationship with that particular person who was their carer and uh, the carer actually slept in the pen, there was a raised bed for the carer to sleep. But in the morning, often when they went to look at this, they would see the carer sleeping with the baby elephant on the ground with the baby elephant with the trunk around the carer, which is just (laughs) such a lovely image. It's uh, a very, very, uh, and um, I thought this was just such a a lovely example of uh, human kindness to a very intelligent sort of animal, is in danger because elephants come into conflict with human settlements Uh, elephants require a lot of room there's less and less room in the world Mm. and so so I I wrote this into the into the Botswana the latest Botswana book and then they very kindly the the orphanage very kindly said um, that they would name uh, their new baby elephant orphan that have been brought into them uh, after me, and uh, so um, so there we are. That's the background to that, and I'm I'm very I'm very honoured uh, that they've chosen to call this. Uh, we did have a rhinoceros named after Mara Matsui. uh This the uh, charity that uh, protects rhinos in in Botswana uh, named one of their rhinos after the character of Mara Matsui. uh Those ah, rhinos, of course, are under tremendous um a uh, pressure and they have to have armed guards because so intense is the poaching pressure they actually have um armed people following them around all the time to protect them which is a terribly sad thing
0: i'm impressed though that you seem to be working through the entire range of big game <laughs> i wonder what will be next um uh you've 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 you've, you've born uh in in uh Africa in, in, a, in a colony, which is no longer, is now a nation. Um, you've returned there, you've worked there, and then you tour there um, frequently. And of course the book series is set there. Um, in your opinion, what do we Westerners get wrong about Africa?
1: Well, I, th- I think that um, many people um, uh, are perhaps um, not prepared to, uh, to see in Africa uh, some of the uh, wonderful things that are um, uh, really Africa, uh, r- 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 African cultures, because we're talking here about a whole continent. And I think mm. uh, uh, one has to perhaps be a little bit more specific, but I think a lot of people um, outside uh, the African continent um, uh, view many African countries as being uh, in some way problematic uh, in that they're used to getting the bad news about the continent. And there has been, of course, a lot of bad news, um, but I think it's it's wrong to judge to judge it by by that, and um, uh, not to realise um, uh, that um, the uh, African cultures uh, have a great deal to offer, and are um, uh, are in many respects uh, admirable. It's it's a, it's, a, it's a pity that that the um, I suppose the problematic side of of them. Um, africa's 20th century history and early 21st century history as well i suppose has tended to to create a slightly negative impression because uh what um uh, what one should get from it um might get from it is uh, wonderful um uh, human values um uh, if you visit uh, an african country sub-saharan african country anywhere i mean i suppose like visiting any country really but you will often encounter um great kindness and uh uh cultural richness um which is um which all of which is very important so what i'm saying is um there's a lot of good news uh that can uh, that can come out of africa a lot of achievement a lot of example and to take um uh Nelson Mandela, for example, who was in, a, in an instance of that, when Nelson Mandela first really came to uh, the attention of, of, of people um, outside, uh, they were struck by his um, nobility of spirit and his graciousness. Uh, that was really very, very striking. Um, I think if you went to a country like Botswana, in fact, people often report this to me, they go visit Australia, uh, uh, Botswana, they've They've read the read the books. They visit Botswana, and they uh, report on the um, uh, on the courtesy and the decency of the people that they they meet. So um, that's really what I suppose uh, I would say about about that. And that there are an awful mm-hmm. lot of people in countries like that leading uh, very good and purposeful lives, often in very difficult circumstances. You know, they're up against it in a way in which um, uh many people in fa- uh, favored uh, countries are, are not you know, and they and they cope with these these difficulties with uh, with very um uh, with, with great uh, ability yeah
0: there's a fantastic humanity which of course you capture with your writing um thank you Alexander then of course smith i i i really thank you for your time today it's been a a pleasure um to speak to you across continents um of course it's evening here and it's first thing in the morning for you um so you've woken up to me <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, it's been a very great pleasure i've enjoyed our conversation very much and i i must say it's it's uh, i can't wait to be able to get back to australia because i visit australia regularly and uh i'm i'm missing i'm missing that it's one of the things that i'm missing at the moment so i hope that uh, uh shortly i'll be able to uh, able to return
0: Yes, and we'll be thrilled to host you again. Um, I, I'd like to ask one more question, which, again, I, I, I started with a, a self-indulgence and, I, and I'd like to end with one. Um, I'm, I'm at a, a time of life uh, where myself and, and a number of my boyhood friends uh, are all um, uh, transitioning uh, into a, a new decade. We're all having a birthday that uh, ends us in a zero. Um, and <laughs> you <laughs> you've had this uh you've had this gorgeous long life so well traveled uh i I'd, I'd like to hear your, your your brief advice on on aging well
1: uh continue to do more things i think is, hmm. is probably and, and and not to stop i i th- i think that uh if you stop uh you you fall off the perch or you uh, you go backwards or whatever whatever so i think just 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 continue because life becomes more and more interesting uh the more you see of it i think the the more uh interesting it becomes the more complex the more nuanced it it becomes so i would just say that that's the that's the uh the, the way to uh, to to approach uh, approach things
0: thank you for your sage advice and thank you for joining me on the Booktopia podcast.
1: Thank you, Ben. Thank you very much.
0: You can buy all of Alexander McCall Smith's novels, poetry and more at booktopia.com.au. Thank you very much and happy reading. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free,